Good morning, Grandview. This is the first Sunday of June, and so at the end of this sermon, we will be celebrating communion virtually. So if you want to bring out from your kitchen something to substitute for the bread and something else for the cup, we will then celebrate together at the end of this video. We'll also be celebrating Sunday morning in our parking lot as well, too. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word, for what we're going to learn about ourselves, but especially about you. And would you just, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to understand your word and to apply it. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am fascinated with gymnastics. Not only the sheer physical strength, but also the mental discipline that these gymnasts take to accomplish what they do. Now, it helps that I, in high school, have three varsity letters because of my role in gymnastics. But I have followed it ever since then. I love watching trampoline, floor exercise, high bar, parallel bars, the rings. But I find the most fascinating is the balance beam. All that they accomplish, that beam is only four inches wide. And I measured today, and that is approximately this right here is the size of the top of the beam sitting 4.1 feet off of the ground. How do these gymnasts walk, flip, do all their tricks while staying balanced in the center of these four-inch walkway? What practice it must take, what discipline it must take to stay on this narrow walkway. Years of practice to stay centered, balanced, focused, able to accomplish their routine. It just amazes me. So how's your walk this morning? See, we don't give that much thought. Once we start as a toddler, we're off to the races. We're just walking and running for the rest of our lives. But as we get older, as our gait becomes less sure, we may revert to using a cane to steady us because our walk is not as sure as it once was. I remember as a youngster watching war movies on television. And I remember, especially as the Allies were picking their way through a minefield, they had to follow exactly the steps of the person in front of them or they died. And so everything depended upon them taking the exact steps as the person in front of them. It's much like life today for the believer. We are living in a culture filled with landmines. And we have to learn how to walk in such a way so carefully that we can stay pure and holy and moral and like God every step of the way until he takes us home. 
So let's see what Paul has to say about that this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Paul is now finishing this long section where he is commanding the believers to walk worthy of all that they are in Christ, to not become unbalanced or distracted. He said in chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy, and the walk signifies our lifestyle. He says in verse 17, to walk not like the Gentiles, not like your former way of life. You are different because of all that Christ has done. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says, walk in love. Everything we do should be motivated by love. In verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, walk in light as children of light. And finally today, we're going to see the last use of the word walk in the book of Ephesians, and he's going to say, walk carefully as a wise person. So let's look at the passage together, starting at verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. That is the passage for this morning. He says in verse 15, the first part of that verse, look carefully then how you walk. Walk carefully. Now, before we even dissect the passage, why? Why is Paul saying that to his readers and to us? Because we live in a dangerous world. This world wishes to deduce us in a, into a single misstep that could take us down paths of addiction, adultery, theft, deceit, sloth, envy. One step is all it takes is to get us off the balance and off the beam. The world and our enemy would love to show us this other way to live not pleasing the Lord. So in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. This is the main statement of this passage. It calls us to moral discernment and practical skills in decision making. We are to pay close attention to our own life so that we can keep life on target, which pleases the Lord and accomplishes his purpose in my life for the kingdom. Our lives are to make steady progress towards the goals that God has for us. Sometimes my dad would say to me, watch where you're going. Son, watch where you're going. Now, why did he have to say that? Because I had become distracted. Or I wasn't looking far enough into the distance 
to see and anticipate the things that were coming up that I could avoid and make the changes necessary. What was needed on my part? Diligence due to the danger and the consequences that were coming up. Watch where you're going. And Paul is saying to us, watch where you're going because at times we find ourselves walking carelessly without a plan, without a direction, without a destination. The ultimate example of this is sleepwalking. Totally aimless, totally clueless, and some of you are drifting spiritually like you're sleepwalking. Paul says in verse 14, wake up, open your eyes, learn to walk carefully every day. Now we're going to see in this passage three contrasts. He's going to say, not this, but this. Not this, but this. And this reveals the structure of the passage in Paul's logic. The first one is found in the second half of verse 15 and verse 16. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The question that was raised in my mind as I saw that, how can I walk as an unwise person? Well, there's two answers to that. One, by not knowing God's way. I, I am ignorant. I, I lack wisdom. I haven't studied the scriptures enough. I'm, I'm a new babe in Christ. I don't know. And I need older brothers and sisters to come alongside of me and to, and to help me understand what is the way God wants me to walk. Take me from ignorant to learned. But there's a second way I can walk as an unwise person. I can choose not to live within God's plan. I may know what God's will is. I may know what he wants me to do with my life. And I willfully choose to disobey. That's unwise. And why should I live as a wise person? Because the world we live in is evil. And it says here we must learn to use our time well. Because if we don't learn to control our time and the use of time, evil can insert itself and take over our lives. It can take over our walk at a moment's notice. See, part of wisdom is seeing the opportunities and take the path that is away from evil and towards godliness. Can I remind you, life is short. Amen? Life is short. And this verse here reminds us of the urgency of which all of this is to take a place. So that's the first contrast, unwise versus wise. Secondly, is found in verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the second contrast. Foolish 
versus live God's will. What is foolishness? Foolishness is acting contrary to what you know to be right. That's foolishness. Failing to do what the Holy Spirit of God says is the height of foolishness. And he is saying here, Paul is saying here, don't live foolishly. Know what the will of the Lord is and do it. See, wise living is not just an option. It's a command. And yet, we at times choose the foolish route, the route that's away from God's will. See, what's the contrast in this verse? God has a plan for our lives. We studied that in Ephesians 2.10. We are to work to know and understand that plan which pleases our Heavenly Father and then put it into practice. It must affect the way we live every day. Every day. We must know the will of God and to know the will of God, we must know the Word of God. That's how He's going to direct us. It's imperative that we do things God's way, not ours. But I think all of us have a tendency either to run ahead of God or to resist. We know God's will and we say, I'm going to help you out and I'm going to, I'm going to accomplish it at a far faster rate, Father. And God says, I have other things to bring into play here that you don't understand. Son, what you have not learned yet is patience. And it's amazing that when we don't learn patience, God continues to take us through that lesson until we slow down to match the tempo of the Spirit of God. There are times he reveals his will to us and we say, I don't like that. Um, I have a different plan. I don't think that's the best plan, Father, and we resist his will. And I'll tell you right now, that is due to pride in our lives. We think, just think about what I'm saying. We think we know better than God and how to pull off his will. When did we put on the holy robe of deity? Never. So don't run ahead, don't fall behind, don't resist. The third contrast in this passage is found in verse 18. Again, not, but, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures to human authors, inerrantly. The Holy Spirit draws this deliberate parallel, one that I would not even dare to draw, but the Spirit has for us a parallel between a man filled with wine and a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The big question 
that this verse answers and asks us today is, what or who is going to control you? What or who is going to control you? Is it going to be wine or is it going to be the Spirit of God? Both forces are internal. Neither force is permanent. Both are deliberate choices I must make every day, sometimes every moment. Who or what will control me today? See, when you're controlled by drink, it says it is debauchery. That's a word we don't use anymore, but it means excess, wasteful living, recklessness, nothing of value. It causes us to have poor judgment. It begins that choice to destroy us. Matter of fact, in Luke 15, 13, the prodigal son is guilty of this kind of life. Now, a note. Every Christian has all of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The moment I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in each one of us. Therefore, when I'm asking to be filled by the Spirit, I'm not asking for more of the Holy Spirit because I have His full presence. The command here is that the Holy Spirit have all of me, all of you, all of us. We are asking the Spirit to direct us, to influence us, to be constantly replenished in us, and ultimately, Spirit of God, would you govern my life today? That's interesting that that word filled I put in your notes, there's four truths that come out of that simple word. Number one, it's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. We are not free to ignore this. This is not something optional for the Christian life. Secondly, that word filled is a plural command. It's a command to the whole church. We are all to be filled, not just a select few, not just the pastor, not just the elders. It is something for all of us. The third truth that comes out of that word is it's a passive command. And that means I can't do it. It must be done to me. Therefore, God the Father must Fill me. He must do the work. What am I to do? I'm to yield my life to the Holy Spirit. I'm to yield my life to the Word of God and say, Father, allow the Spirit to control me today, to energize me as only He can. And I'm going to listen for His direction, and I'm going to do what He asks. I'm going to obey your word. That's passive. Fourthly, it's a present tense command. 
which means it's not a once-for-all event, but it's continuous. We are to go on being filled. Why? Well, let me use this simple illustration. The moment you go to the gas station and you fill your tank with gas, the moment you pull out of the filling station, you begin burning fuel. The moment you start living for God under the power of the Holy Spirit, you will need more filling as time goes on to do his will. Now, how do I know if I'm filled? How do I know if I'm living within the power of the Holy Spirit? And in the passage, I love it, Paul gives us three results of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Verses 17 Excuse me, verses 19 to 21. Verse 19, we find the first one. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The first result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is new worship filled with joy. New worship filled with joy. A new depth of worship. And it's interesting, as I looked at this verse, I realized there's two aspects to this worship. Number one, there's a corporate worship where we all worship together. That's the first half of the verse. In the second half, there is individual worship. Now look at verse 19, the the first half. Addressing one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What this verse is saying to us is that singing and worship corporately has two audiences. See, in corporate singing, we remind each other about God's character, about what the work that he's done in Christ, about spiritual truth that sometimes we lose sight of in the midst of living in this world. And when I hear another brother or sister singing a song, and I might be singing the same words, but when I'm listening to them and I know their life, it ministers to me. But when we sing like that, we are also singing to the Lord as a way of offering praise to him. Individually, Second half of verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's individual worship, with your heart. The heart here is the controlling center of your being. And so Paul is saying, learn to worship with your whole being. Genuine praise directed to Jesus in your heart can at times involve inaudible praise to the Lord. As I thought about verse 19, when I thought about how the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, controls us, when God controls us, we are joyful. It breaks out in praise. In verse 20 is the second aspect or result of being filled by the Spirit, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, continuous thanksgiving. Continuous thanksgiving. Now, please remember that Paul is writing this very words while a prisoner in Rome. 
And he is saying, give thanks always for everything. Where is he at? He's in the most unlikely situation to do that according to the flesh. And in this verse, there are four modifiers to this giving thanks. He says, give thanks always. That means there are times, just like Joseph, I have to joyfully accept the wrong being done to me. And I have to say, thank you, Father, you're going to work this all out. I'm supposed to be thankful, secondly, for everything. For everything. I have to find, not find reasons, but I have to say, God, thank you that you've allowed this into my life. You, my loving Father. The third aspect is found as well. Give thanks to God the Father. My loving Heavenly Father, who loves me, who loves you, who knows exactly what's coming into my life, and he's allowing it. And he's going to use it for a purpose in my life and yours to make me more like Jesus. The fourth modifier is found in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has made all of this possible. Why can I give thanks? Because Jesus Christ gives it all a purpose. One day I will spend eternity with him. And he will begin to explain why certain things came into my life and how God changed me through those. The, the Spirit as he fills me. According to this one verse, it rules out grumbling. It rules out complaining. It rules out negativity. It rules out a sour spirit. Why? Because I'm giving thanks always and for everything. Where do I have room to grumble and complain? To say, God, this is not fair. So as you look at your own life, you have to ask yourself the question, am I filled with the Spirit? Because if the results are not there, then you need to be filled again. Finally, the third result of being filled by the Spirit is found in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is mutual submission. Mutual submission. And mutual submission properly recognizes and respects those in authority. And the key to submission is a profound, reverent submission to Christ himself. And yet submission requires humility, which is a core value to all of us who believe in Christ. And what's our motive for mutual submission? I'm afraid of failing the Lord. I have a solemn sense of responsibility. I'm to live for him. I'm to live wisely. I'm to live carefully. This mutual submission is in this passage the final result of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But this verse... Mutual submission also becomes what I call a hinge verse. It's going to now introduce us 
to three types of relationships in the sermons to follow where people are called as Christians to live out mutual submission. So by way of review of these results, when God controls us, when God controls us, we are joyful. When God controls us, we are thankful. When God controls us, we exhibit a submissive spirit. So what does this mean for us today? How's your walk today? Look at your own lifestyle. Is, Is your lifestyle, your work, worthy of all that Christ has done for you? Is your lifestyle not like the way you used to live as a pagan? Is your life filled with doing the best for others, which I would say is love? Do you exhibit a life not lived in the shadows, but fully in the light? Is your lifestyle one that is carefully and accurately lived for God's will and pleasure, empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? Because then you will know unspeakable joy, you will know gratitude, and you will know humility that will begin to spill over into your other relationships. If that doesn't describe you, right now, then would you take a moment and repent? Would you admit to God that you have lived in your own power, you have lived under your own control, you've allowed the world and our enemy to to set the steps for you in this life walk? And then would you take a moment And again, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. To say, Spirit of God, you know best. You already indwell me. Would you show me what are the next steps to take so that I might please God and please you? Secondly, This call to walk carefully is necessary because our instincts do not take us often in God's way. We live in a world that seduces us daily. And the world wants us to make destructive choices. We need wisdom and discernment and the Spirit's power to stay balanced and on the beam for Jesus. Why do I need to apply this? I ran across this quote that I'd like to read for you because it involves not just me personally, but the church gathered. Continuous watchfulness is necessary if we want to live a life pleasing to the Lord in a world dedicated to the dark ways of sin. Any careless or selfish thought can can seduce us into taking the wrong path and falling into spiritual defeat. 
our vigilance must be corporate. Do you understand what I just said? We must be watching out for one another and not just individual. We cannot carry this burden by ourselves for the pressures of secularity and the temptations to live by the pleasure principle are far too great for each one of us. We need help both vertically from the spirit and horizontally from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Without the loving eyes of those around us, we too often deceive ourselves. So are you walking worthy by carefully living out your life? Would you just take a moment and reflect as we begin to transition into communion this morning? Where are you this morning? Are there things that you need to confess to God because you have taken your own steps with your own path and you know that you have said no to the Spirit of God, you've said no to the wisdom of the Word, and you have willfully disobeyed? Confess that this morning. Ask Him to cleanse you because he promised that he would. And prepare your heart to partake of communion this morning. Father, prepare us. We all acknowledge that we have fallen at times. Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's hourly. I thank you for the indwelling spirit in each one of us who wishes to show us the next step in our journey with you. Thank you for his presence in each of our lives. Make us more sensitive to his leading. May we say yes more than we say no. May we not run ahead of him or even resist him. Father, show us how to live in step with him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, now think about that. He was facing the cross the next day. His betrayal, his suffering, he gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take the bread. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, your death provided so much. We will spend eternity 
beginning to plumb the depths of understanding what took place. All I know is I'm one of your children and you're my loving Heavenly Father and you desire to have a relationship with me and you've, you've already given me your Holy Spirit to provide power and direction. Thank you that the cross makes that possible. That I now have been given, I never earned, I have been given the righteousness of Christ. Thank you. Thank you for walking alongside of each one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.